Hey, everyone. Um, yeah, so hopefully, you know, we're not here to hear what I have to say, but what God's Word has to say for us, because that's more important. Um, if you all were hoping for a special speaker, I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> to disappoint. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, it's really good to be here. Uh, it's really a privilege, and it's really amazing to look around the room because, um, you know, I think it was, I don't know, eight or nine years ago that uh, my wife, Melly and I um, actually started the Roots Ministry, um, and at that time, we had five students, um, and, it, and we had no idea what we were doing, and, um, you know, we had no training, and... Um, and, uh, you know, it's crazy that uh, through that time, you know, I look around the room now, and there's so many of you, and we have a full-time pastor, and um, what this ministry has become is just um, so amazing. Um, it's crazy to see Yasmin here. Um, <laughs> that's God's grace that she's still here um, serving, I guess. And, uh, um, you know, if you don't, I guess if you uh, have a hard time believing that God works through weak men um, and flawed men, uh, that, is, that is evidence right there that, uh, you know, this ministry that started with five students and, and, uh, and an introvert and people who don't know what they're doing um, becomes, becomes um, so many students. And uh, yeah, I'm just so thankful. This is, this is really a privilege. So um, Clifton asked me to teach on why is prayer difficult? And so that's a really good question, I think, for us to answer. And um, I want to ask you, how many, how many of you find prayer to be difficult? Raise, raise your hand. Do any of you find prayer to be difficult? Yeah, some of you. Some of you might be prayer warriors, I guess. Um, how many of you wish you spent more time praying? Anyone? Yeah. So um, I, I'm there, too. That's me. Um, and we know that prayer is important. It's probably one of the most important things uh, in, a, in a Christian's life, but at the same time, it's one of the most neglected um, parts of the Christian life, right? And so um, as we take a look at this, this question, um, you know, I come to this not, in a, not as an expert, um, but um, as, you know, someone kind of in the same boat as you, and, hope, and we're thankful that, I'm thankful at least, that we have the Word of God uh, to which we can look, and God's Word provides truth um, God's word provides um, um, motivation for us, right? And so, um, anyways, let me, let me pray before we get into this. Um, since it's a series on prayer, we should pray, right? So let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you um, that you are sovereign. Uh, we thank you that you speak through your word. Um, and so we pray, God, that you, would, that you would speak during this time, that your word would... would um, uh, would penetrate our hearts. Uh, I pray, God, that um, that as we think about why why prayer is difficult, um, Lord, that you would you would help us uh, to be um, to pray more, to uh, to look at the the reasons that are really in our hearts, um, and and to um, and to look to you and to the promises that you have for us, that we would grasp hold of those promises through prayer, Lord, and. Uh, I just I pray that you would bless our time. I pray that you would open our hearts to your word, um, and I pray that you would use me, a, a, 
a weak, a weak and, and a sinful person um, to, to just share what your word, your truth has to say. And um, pray this in Jesus' name. Cool. So, you know, one of the things, um, as I was preparing for this, what I realized is that um, I was trying to answer the question, why is prayer difficult? And, um, and I had a really hard time answering that question. And, I, and as I was preparing, what I realized is that um, I ended up answering a different question. And so I think uh, we're going we're gonna to look at this a different way. And the question I really want to ask is, is actually, why don't we pray? Um, and so we're going to talk about that. And um, it sounds like these are very similar questions, right? And they're, they might be related, but they're not exactly the same question. Because, you know, you might say, the reason that I don't pray is because prayer is hard. And that might be true. But if you think about it, prayer is not really that difficult. It's just talking to God. It may be tedious at times, but there are a lot of things that we do in life that are difficult or tedious. Um, for example, uh, raise your hands if you brush your teeth this morning. If you don't have your hands raised, that's disgusting. I'm just going to say, I expected every hand to go up. Um, raise your hand if you uh, do your homework, you finish your homework on time. Um, raise your hand if you, if you have a a skill that you want to get better at and you practice for that skill, right? Like maybe you play an instrument and it's not fun to practice, but you do because you, you want to get better at it, right? Um, or maybe you play a sport and, and so you run. Running, running is, is terrible, right? But you run so that you can get more fit for your sport. Um, so, you know, I tell my, I tell my children all the time, that, uh, that nothing that's worth having or doing is ever easy, right? Everything that's worth having or doing takes hard work. And I think prayer can be one of those things, right? So if we're looking at the question, um, why is prayer hard? I think maybe we're, ask, we're not asking exactly the question um, that we should be asking. I think the question we want to look at is, is why don't we pray? Um, and so... I believe that the reason that we don't pray is that there are things that we misunderstand or that we believe falsely about prayer, right? And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to turn to John 15. So um, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to John 15, and, and we'll read from there. So maybe look up at me when you're, when you're there. All right, so starting in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So here, Jesus refers to himself as the vine, and we are the branches, right? So if a branch stays on the vine, it will grow and bear fruit, but a branch apart from a vine will wither and die, right? So that's, that's clear. And, and what he's saying here is that we're dependent on him, right? And there's a clear command in here. He says, abide in me. And this, this verb abide is mentioned 10 times in this passage, and all it means is to live. So Jesus wants us to abide or to live, or to place your life in him. And I think when we think about what it means to live in a person, um, we have to acknowledge that it's not just a living situation, right? It's, there's a relationship there. So when I was in high school, you know, there was a time, I don't know if may, some of you, maybe if you have cars, maybe you experienced this. There was a time when I, I didn't spend a lot of time at home. I was going out all the time, and um, hang out with my friends, and when I was home, I would go straight to my room and spend all my time in there. I might come down for some food or shower or use the bathroom, and my parents would tell me that our home is not a hotel, right? And so what were they saying? They're saying that, you know, the reason that I lived at, at home was not just because of an arrangement, right? I'm not just a renter. They're not just my landlords, but the reason I was living in that home was because we had a relationship, right? They had an expectation of me that I would contribute to the home, that I would spend time with them, that I would talk to them. And I think it's the same thing when, when Jesus here says to abide in, in him, that he's not just talking about an arrangement. Sometimes we can go about our lives that way, right? We, we are kind of mindful of not, of not sinning. We're kind of mindful of trying to be good people. We're sort of mindful of obeying his commands. But we sort of treat Jesus as, he, as though he is just our landlord, right? And I think that he expects more. He expects a relationship with him, right? And so one of the ways that we have a relationship with God, obviously, is through prayer. So I think here that when Jesus says to abide in, in him, he is one aspect of that is that he's saying that we need to pray, right? How else, how else can we depend on him? And so here we're going to find um, four reasons that we need to pray. And actually, I'm going to, since the question is, why don't we pray? I'm going to flip it around and, and say these are four reasons that we don't pray. All right? So the first reason that we don't pray is because we believe we are self-sufficient. So what does that mean? It means that we wrongly believe that we can live without God, that we don't need God. And in verse 5, he makes that very clear. He says, he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think it's, it's hard to understand this in the society in which we live, right? Because we live in Orange County, which is one of the wealthiest um, places in the world. And so, so, you know, most of us don't worry about lacking anything. We don't worry about what we're going to eat or where we're going to sleep tonight. Right? We have all of our needs taken care of. And not only that, but 
most of the things that we desire, because we don't, we don't have desires necessarily for the, for the necessities, are actually wants, right? We desire, um, I don't know, video games, or we desire nice clothes, right? Um, and society sort of pushes us to be self-sufficient. Um, it tells us that if you work hard, you do the things that you need to, you can have whatever you want, right? So this is, this is, this is the society that we, we, that we live in, and so it's, it's kind of hard for us to think that, that we have a need, right? And we forget that everything that we have is actually from God. Right? God here says, um, or Jesus here says that apart from him, we can do nothing, right? So your ability to learn and study and work hard, that's from God. Um, the fact that you know when your next meal is going to be, that you can choose what you're going to eat. Um, you can have tacos or burgers or burritos and enjoy your meal. You know where you're going to sleep tonight. Um, is that God has provided for you, right? You, you have nothing to, to do with the environment that you grew up in. Um, you you didn't choose what family you'd be born into. And even for your family to be able to provide these things, all of that is from God. They also had no control over their situation growing up, right? And so we have to acknowledge that everything that we have is from God, and apart from him, we can't do anything. And, and even then, doing nothing is literally doing nothing. We literally, we can't breathe, we can't live, right? Even if food was put in front of you, you couldn't eat it if, if you didn't have God. Um, it says in, in Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, which means that he holds, he holds everything together. He holds your life together, right? He is the reason that you wake up tomorrow and that you are able to breathe. He is the reason that, that you live. And so I think when we, when we think of prayer, we often go about it as though we treat God as though he is just a nice addition to our life. Like if we believe in God, that'll make our life better. Um, if we pray, it'll make our lives better. Uh, but the truth is that, that we are dependent on him for everything. And so if that's the case, then we ought to pray for everything, right? Um, and so prayer is, is necessary, just like eating or breathing. Um, it's necessary for you to live. And, you know, the, the irony of it is that there are a lot of things that we do that we make sure that we take care of uh, that aren't as important as prayer. Um, so, for example, you know, it's important that you do your homework. But is homework more important than prayer? Like, if you don't do your homework, are you going to die? If you don't do your homework, does that show that you're, that you're not abiding in God? I think, I think, if we, if we think if we really believe that we can do nothing apart from God, that we need to abide in, in him, that we need to pray, then we have to acknowledge that prayer is more important than, than all those things. So next time your parents tell you to do your homework, you tell them, I'm, I'm too busy, I'm praying, right? Um, or don't, you know, don't do that. But if you do, don't tell them that I told you. But, um, you know, so I think the, a lot of these things, uh, 
very practically, right, we, we make time to eat, we make time to brush our teeth, our teeth in the morning, we make time to do our homework. Um, and just very practically, I think we need to make time for prayer. Uh, we should schedule it, I think, because it's that important. It should be a part of our lives. And, you know, this is something I'm convicted of. Um, I don't schedule my prayer time. Uh, but as I was preparing this, I, I, think, I, I think I should. Um, and I think oftentimes if we treat prayer as though it's a nice to have, as though it's optional, then we can procrastinate. We can push it off till tomorrow, right? Uh, we can say, well, if I don't pray today, I'm not going to die. I'll, I'll just pray tomorrow. I'm tired. Uh, I don't want to fall asleep when I'm praying, right? And so, but the, the truth is that we, we should approach prayer as though it cannot wait, as though we cannot procrastinate. Um, so J.C. Raw has this quote, which I thought was really well put. He says, tomorrow is the devil's day, but today is God's. He says, Satan does not care how spiritual your intentions are or how holy your resolutions are, if only they are determined to be done tomorrow. And so what is he saying? If, if you, when you procrastinate, I'm sure everyone's experienced this, you know, you think you're putting it off for one day, and then the next day you put it off for another day, and then another day, and then sooner or later you look back and it's been, it's been hundreds of tomorrows that have gone by and you haven't prayed right? And so I think that, that Satan is fine with us saying we plan to do this tomorrow, that we, we are going to commit to doing this so long as it's not for today, right? And so that's, uh, that's procrastination. You know, if, if prayer is that important, we should do it today. And uh, so let's, so second reason I think that we don't pray is that uh, we don't believe that God will answer our prayers. And, um, and so let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. All right, so it says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, there are conditions to this, right? It says that you have to abide in him and his words in you. So I don't think he's saying that you can just pray for a Lamborghini, and it will just drop out of the sky, and you'll have one, right? Um, in fact, James 4 kind of clarifies this. He says, he, he's talking to people who, who are fighting um, and sinning against one, one another because there are things that they want that they don't have. And so he says, you do not have because you do not ask, all right? So you're not praying. But he also says, you, do not, uh, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, so there is a way to, to pray and ask wrongly, right? And so I think Jesus' point here is not that God will give us whatever we want according to our fleshly desires, right, according to, the, to our passions, but that when we are abiding in, in him, that our hearts will be aligned with him and that you won't ask wrongly and you'll, pr- you'll pray rightly and your prayers will be, will be answered. And so what, what does it mean to pray rightly? We we sort of went over this, I think, uh, last week, I think Evan taught on the Lord's Prayer, right? Hallowed be your, your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So I think we have, when we have this heart attitude of submitting to God's will and desiring his will to be done, um, to humble ourselves before a holy God, that is when um, he answers our prayers, right? But it is clear here that Jesus says that when we abide in him, 
our prayers will be answered. Whatever we ask, it will be done for us. And so I think that um, for those of us who are Christians, um, when we pray, I think sometimes it might be because we really we don't really believe that God will answer our prayers. And I think it's not so much that that we don't believe God answers prayers. I think sometimes it's it's personal, right? I think sometimes it's that we don't believe God will answer my prayers. I think there's a couple ways that this happens. One is that one way might be that we think that God doesn't uh, God doesn't care about my problems, right? And so this is kind of like you know my my problems are too small for God to care about, right? He's got more important things to worry about. I mean, this is the God who we just read in, in Colossians. He holds all things together, right? So he's busy. He's busy keeping the universe running. He's busy uh, keeping governments running and uh, worrying about bigger problems, right? He's, so why does he care about my problems? Why does he care, I don't know, about my biology project or the fact that I can't find a parking spot and I've driven around for an hour? Or why does he care, I don't know, that like my, uh, I can't find the matching pair to my favorite socks and, or something like that? Uh, you know, if, if those things are, are what are occupying your mind, uh, then maybe, maybe God does care about them. And so, in, so uh, if you look at Matthew 6, 26, it says, it says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? And so the point is, the point is, Yes, God is the creator of the universe. Yes, God is the one who's holding the world together. And yes, God has, there are bigger problems. But God even cares about the birds of the air. He takes care of them. He feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than, than birds? So God cares about your problems as well. And maybe, you know, maybe when you pray about getting an A on a test, maybe, maybe, the point isn't that God is going to give you the A on the test, but maybe what God cares about is that you are anxious about this test, that you are not trusting in him and his goodness and his sovereignty. You're not relying on him for, for strength um, and energy to study for this test. Maybe that's how we need to pray to God about this, right? Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So God wants you to pray about everything. No matter how, how big it is, no matter how small it is, if it is something that is on your mind, if it is something that is impacting your life, God wants you to pray about it. Because we can't do, we can't, we can't do anything apart from him. Right? We need to pray for everything. Another way that this might happen is that you might think that what you're asking is impossible which is kind of the opposite. My request is too big for God. And uh, maybe sometimes, maybe we don't really say this out loud. Maybe, you know, we're good Christians and we believe God can do anything. Uh, but I think um, what we're worried about is that, is, that, uh, is that we don't want to be disappointed um, because I, we think what we're asking for is, is maybe a little bit, seems impossible to us, right? So we might say, 
yeah, God answers prayers, God can do anything, but maybe not in my situation. I'm a little bit worried that he's not going to answer this one. And, and so maybe you have a friend who's, who you're praying for, you've been sharing the gospel with them, uh, but their heart is so hard towards the gospel. And you're like, there's no way this person can, can ever believe, right? But, but God, God can do anything. And so um, in Matthew 19, you know, there's this example where uh, he's, Jesus is talking to, um, to a, a rich young ruler, and, and he says that it's, it, is, uh, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, which is basically saying it's impossible, right? And so the disciples hear this, they say, who can be saved then? And Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So I think, you know, when we pray, we have to come to him boldly. We have to believe that all things are possible through God. Um, I think another, another reason that we might think that God won't answer our prayers, um, this is kind of a different one, is that, you know, I think sometimes we look at people who, are, who do pray a lot, people who we think are good at praying, like maybe, maybe Pastor Clifton, right, or maybe Pastor Joshua. We hear them pray, and we're like, wow, God's really going to answer their prayer because they really know how to pray, right? They, they use spiritual language, and I can never do that. Um, and so maybe we think that God's not going to hear my prayers. My prayers are weak. Um, I, I'm not articulate. I don't even know what, I'm, what I need to pray sometimes. Um, but that couldn't be further from the truth. And um, so... In Matthew 6, 7, you know, Jesus is talking about how to pray, and this is actually before the, the Lord's Prayer, which is, which, which is what Evan went over. He says, uh, he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Right? So don't think that you need, to, you need to use fancy words or spiritual language or that you need to repeat yourself over and over like an incantation. Um, for your prayers to be heard, because that's not how prayer works. He says, do, do not be like them, for, you, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, which is interesting, right? Because I think a couple weeks ago, Clifton asked the question, if God is sovereign, why do we pray? Right? Do you guys remember that? I think this is, this is similar. It's like, it's not necessarily if God is sovereign, why do we pray? But it's if God already knows what I'm going to ask, then why, why do we pray? If God is omniscient, then why do we pray? And that's a complex question. I think, I think Clifton did a good job answering that. But I think I want to come at this a different perspective, which is here Jesus is saying that the reason you should pray and the reason that you shouldn't worry about how you pray and what you say is because God already knows. All right? So... I mean, if you think about it, how many of you have, have asked your parents for something that you're really nervous? You're like, ah, they're really not going to give me that. Like, maybe, like, I want, I want a dog. That's what my kids have been asking for. Um, I want a dog, right? And uh, I, need to, I, need to, I need to convince my parents to give me a dog, right? So do you just go to your parents and, and ask? You probably, you probably spend some time thinking about it and preparing your words, 
so that you can say just the right thing, maybe tug at their heartstrings a little bit. Like, oh, having a dog would be so, so much fun, right? And so you really have to put a lot of effort into thinking about it, preparing, and then maybe when you get, get to asking, you get nervous, right? Because um, you don't know how they're going to gonna respond. Or maybe it's like, like you've already asked a million times and, and you're worried that they're going to get mad or something, right? But here, uh, with God, we don't have to worry about that because God already knows what you need and he doesn't care how you ask. He doesn't care that you use fancy words. And so, so it's not that we shouldn't pray because God already knows, but actually, because God already knows, we can, we can come to God with our prayers without worrying about how we say it, without having to be anxious, right? Because God already knows, and he loves, he loves us. We know that, right? And so I think this should empower us to pray. And so if you're worried that you don't know how to pray, that your words are not powerful enough, you know, that's, uh, that's, not a re- that's not a good reason either, right? We should, we should believe that, that, God, um, that God already knows and that God answers prayers. All right, so the next reason that we don't pray uh, might be because we, ha- we have sin. And so we see this kind of in, in verse 10. It says, if we keep his commandments we will abide in his love, right? And so, you know, if keeping his commandments serves to help us abide in his love, then the inverse of that would be that if we do not keep his commandments, then we will not abide in his love, right? If we are not keeping his commandments, we will not abide and we will will likely not pray. Sin is something that keeps us from God. Uh, Disobedience is something that keeps us from God. And... And I want you to see an example of this. So if, if you have your Bible still, flip with me to chap, uh, Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at an example of this. You, I'm sure you guys already know this story. Um, and so in Genesis 3 here, I think we see the first instance um, in maybe in history where man is tempted not to pray. Um, and so you know the story. Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden. Everything is perfect. God tells Adam not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because if you eat of it, you will, he says, if you eat of it, you will surely die, right? And so we'll pick up in Genesis 3, starting from verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you, sh- you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, which is, which is similar to self-sufficiency, right? Thinking that we can live without God. Um, so moving on, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that, um, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together 
and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So it's interesting, right? Up until this point, Adam had no reason to hide from God. Right? Anytime he wanted to, he could talk to God. Anytime God wanted to talk to him, I'm sure he was willing to, right? But what happened here was that, was that they ate from the fruit of the tree that God told them not to eat, and their eyes were opened. And so they disobeyed. And it's interesting, it says, in verse 7, it says that they knew that they were naked. But they'd been naked this whole time, right? It's not, you know, nothing changed. Well, something changed. What really changed? I think what changed was that they knew that they were naked, and all of a sudden that became a problem, right? He says to God in verse, in verse 10, when God was asking, where are you? He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. All of a sudden, he's afraid, right? Because I was naked, and I hid myself. And so I think what happened here is, is that after their disobedience, after his eyes are opened, for the first time in his, in his life, Adam was aware of his nakedness. And for the first time in his life, his nakedness was a problem. Because for the first time in his life, he had something to be ashamed of. He had disobeyed God. And for the first time in his life, there was, he, there was something that he wanted to hide. And so he hid. Instead of speaking, speaking to God, which would be praying to God, he hid from God. And instead of abiding in God, they were afraid to be with God. Right? And so how many of, how many of you um, have experienced this? How many of you sometimes when, when it comes time to pray... Maybe, maybe you come on Sunday mornings and it's, and it's time of prayer hour. And you sit in the circle and you're like, man, I, I hope that time runs out before the circle gets to me so I don't have to pray. Because my heart's really not there. I, my parents told me not to play video games last night, but I snuck out of the room and I played video games all night long. And some, or something like that. I don't know what kids do these days. Um, right, but... Right? I, I, think, I think we can empathize with Adam. We can, we can empathize in that, in that when we sin, we know we have shame. That's something that, that keeps us from God. Right? It's something that can keep us from God. Um, and I think that that's an appropriate feeling. I think that when we have sin, shame would, would be a natural feeling. Right? So what do we do with this sin? This sin? What do we do with this shame? 1 John 1.9 says... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, so however hard it may be to approach God when you are ashamed, God wants you to come to him with your sin. God does not want that sin to keep you from him. Right? He wants you to come so that you can be forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. And so don't let your sin keep you from God. That is the time that you need to pray the most. That is the time that you need Christ. That is the time that you need to abide in him. Be because he takes away our, our sin. He takes away our shame. All right, so the last reason 
uh, that we don't pray, this is the fourth, I think, is that, uh, is that we're more concerned with this physical life than we are with our spiritual lives. And, um, you know, here we have, there are so many promises for us when we abide in Christ. Right? We see that when you abide in Christ, God will prune you, you will bear more fruit. God will answer your prayers that we saw in verse 7. Um, it says God will be glorified in verse 8. Um, it says that you will prove to be his disciples also in verse 8. And even in verse 11, it says that God, um, that it brings God joy. Isn't that crazy to, that, that our prayers can bring the God of the universe, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who rules everything, joy. If you think that God doesn't care about you, just think about that, that, that our prayers can bring him joy. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think this, this too is maybe one of the things um, that keeps us from, from praying. Sometimes we often think of discipline as drudgery. Um, I couldn't think of a better word than drudgery, uh, but hopefully you know what that word means. It's like, it's, it's, like, it's like work, right? It's like labor. It's like, it's not fun. Um, and I think sometimes we think that, um, that prayer is just something we do because we have to, to avoid, to avoid bad consequences, right? Um, and, you know, on the flip side, I think, and this is, this is to, the, to the point of we think of our, spirit, our physical lives more than our spiritual lives, is that we lie to ourselves by convincing ourselves that there are things in this world uh, that, can, that can bring us more joy, right? So maybe that's, like, I want to go out and play with my friends. I don't have time to pray. Or I want to play video games. I don't have time to pray. Or I want to scroll. Uh, do, you guys, do you guys, are you guys on YouTube? I don't know. TikTok or something like that, right? I don't have time to pray. TikTok's more important than prayer, um, right? And so we think that things in this world can bring us joy. But the truth is, the truth is that, you know, we see here that God loves us in verse 9 and that God takes joy in us abiding in him and also that if we abide in him, our joy will be full. And that's what God wants for you. The reason that God wants you to abide in him and to pray to him is not because he just wants you to, to do this practice, uh, you know, three times a day like, like the Muslims believe. Right. It's, it is because he wants you to have joy, your, your, for your joy to be full. And he knows that, that that joy is not something that you can get from anything else in this world. But also when we don't... Um, and so, uh, sorry, going back, I think we have all these promises when we abide in Christ and when we pray, right? But what about when we don't pray? Um, I think when we don't pray, we're... we're sort of forgetting that, that there is no spiritual life apart from Christ. We think that there might be. We think that, uh, or we might think that it doesn't matter. But Jesus makes it clear here, right? He is the vine. You are only a branch. You don't pray. You don't abide in God. You will not bear fruit. You will wither and die. God will remove you from the vine and be thrown into the fire, which is sobering, Right? And so prayer is absolutely necessary to the Christian life. So I think if you don't pray, um, or if you aren't praying regularly, then you should ask yourself why. 
Right? Is it because you've forgotten that you need God? Is it because you think you, you can live without God? Maybe you think that you can be God? Um, or is it because you don't believe God will answer your prayers, that God doesn't care about your prayers personally? Or is it because you are in sin, you have shame, and that shame keeps you from approaching God? Or maybe it's because you are only concerned about this physical life. You aren't concerned about your standing before the Lord. You are not truly in Christ. Maybe, maybe you have a, a profession of faith, but your not praying shows that you are not truly abiding in Christ. Your faith is not in, is not in Christ. It's, it's in yourself. If you're, if you're not praying, your faith is in yourself, Right? And so if, that, um, you know, if that's you, um, if you, if you're not truly in Christ, or maybe you are in Christ, but you have a hard time praying because you have a hard time believing these truths, um, then I think there is hope for you, and I want you to see that in, in here. So in verse, um, I have it here. So in verse 1, uh, there's something subtle here. Jesus says, I am the true vine, right? He says, uh, he says I am the true vine, um, and I, I don't have the whole thing, but I'm the true vine. And so, you know, if he was trying to make, just make the point, the symbolic point, that we need to, to abide in him, why, didn't, why wouldn't he just say, I'm the vine, you are the branches? Why does he go out of his way to say, I am the true vine, God is the vine dresser, I am the vine, you are the branches? Right. What is the point of this, this true vine? And, and, and I think we need to get this because this is really the point of the passage here. It's not, I mean, the application is to abide in Christ, right? But the reason that we abide in Christ, he says here, is, is I am the true vine, and God is the vine dresser, right? And, um, and surely, sure, he, makes, he, he gives us these promises, and there's also a warning here if we don't abide. But this there's, there's a point here, right? There's a reason that he says, I am the true vine. And the reason, the reason is because this, this vine is a symbol, uh, not just here, but also back, way back in the Old Testament. So when you go back to the Old Testament, um, some of the prophecies in Isaiah, in the Psalms, um, it, it talks about the nation of Israel as being a vineyard or as being the vine. And, um, and I think, I think uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Josh Feaster kind of covered this a little bit. Um, and, and I know some of this kind of feels like it might go over our heads a little bit, this kind of like the nation of Israel, the God's promises through the nation, the true vine. But I think, I think this is important. And so, uh, you know, to be honest, this, some of this is over my head too, but let me see if I can make this um, matter to you. So he's making a point here. God, God had called, uh, called out a people, the nation of Israel. He had these people um, who he said, these were going to be my people. They were going to be set apart. They were going to worship God. They were going to be holy, so that, and they were to be a blessing to, the, to all the nations. right? And so the world would look on these people and see God, in all of his glory, 
And in addition to that, these people would somehow be a blessing to everyone. But if you read the Old Testament, you find that this doesn't happen, right? Um, the people of Israel, time and time again, they, they rebel against God. They worship idols. Um, they're not a blessing to, to all the nations. Um, and so, so you find that this doesn't end up happening through this, through this vine, the nation of Israel, the vineyard that the Old Testament refers to. But this whole time, God is promising a Messiah who would come through the nation of Israel, and this Messiah would, would be the one to bring this blessing to all the nations. And so here, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is saying that he is here to fulfill all the promises that the nation of Israel was supposed to fulfill. And how does he do that? Right? He, he, um, he obeys God perfectly. Right? He, um, he keeps the commandments. He lives a perfect life. And, and then, you know, in here, this, this passage is, is the, um, it's, it's interesting that he's saying this in this passage because this passage is his, la- his final instructions to the disciples before he goes to be taken to the cross, ultimately to die for, for our sins, right? Or to die for the disciples' sins since he was instructing them. And so Jesus is saying, for those of us who have failed, for those of us who struggle with prayer because we don't believe the right things, because we, because we, have, we have sin, because we, we place our hope in things in this, in this world rather than in Christ, that he, he, is, he is here to be our hope. He is here to be our vine for us to place, to abide in him. Um, and this is why he came, right? It's to die for your sins so that if you put your faith in Christ, that you can be saved, that you can have hope, that you can have joy that can't be taken away from you. And so this is, this is where our hope is. If you, are, if you are not a believer, this is where your hope ought to be. And if you are a believer, but you struggle, you struggle to pray, this is where our hope ought to be. This is why we can have these promises that he, that he tells us, is that you know, because he is the true vine, that if we abide in him, we will have a fruitful life. We will have a life that glorifies God. We will have a life that brings joy to God, a life that is full of joy ourselves. And so uh, let us abide in, in Jesus, the true vine. Let us constantly go to him in prayer and make that, uh, make that a regular habit, something that is necessary, something that is more important than, than eating or breathing uh, or homework, right? Um, so, yeah, that's my encouragement to you is, is to pray because... There are good reasons to. There are promises for us. So let me pray, and then we'll, um, that'll close our time. Father God, I, I thank you that, um, that you are the true vine, and uh, that because of that, we can have hope in you. We, uh, you call us to abide in you, but it is for our good. It is because you love us. Um, it is because you are for us is because you desire um, for our joy to be full and for us for and that we can even bring you joy um, and so 
I know, Lord, that, that we often struggle to pray, and, it, and there are many reasons for that. Uh, but I pray, God, that, that you would help us to see your truths here, that there is nothing that we can do apart from you, um, that, uh, um, that we need you and, and we're dependent on you, and that there are so many promises here that you would bear fruit in us. Um, we just pray, God, that uh, in our lives as believers, that we, would, um, that we would be fully dependent on you, that we would pray. Um, and uh, I, I thank you for your word, that it instructs us, that it gives us hope, that it motivates us. Um, and I, th- and I, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.